Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, last week, if you were with us, we celebrated the resurrection of our Savior. No response. Okay, we're going to keep going. Nobody's excited about the resurrection seven days later. That's insane. We celebrated the fact on Resurrection Sunday that Jesus, it was Jesus, it was the one who said he was going to do it, triumphs once and for all over death, defeating the enemy, and putting them in this awkward position where, well, now we've got to rethink our strategy to take out God's people. It is no longer a physical war. It is no longer a physical battle that can be won. Jesus has conquered all there is to conquer. And I promise you, Satan's not trying to find our hero on the battlefield. I don't know about you, but I've never uh, cared to or felt compelled to fight somebody who was all the way dead. And then three days later, all of a sudden, they're walking around and they ain't dead no more. I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to fight that guy. And so, and so the devil's got to get a little more creative, right? The devil's got to get a little more because he's not going to physically take us out. He's not going to physically win a war against our Savior Jesus. And so he's got to get more creative. John Mark Comer would compare it to, uh, to, to, to the war, similar to the war that we would experience in America today. There's not a whole lot of countries in this world that are lining up to face our military. Not a whole lot of countries are trying to crack our ground and come get us or even invite us to come get them. They're just not really trying to have that fight. Instead, what they've done is they've gotten more creative and they've decided to attack us in a terrorist sort of manner through our media. They've decided to to, to get into our ears, to get in front of our faces, to to, to, to manipulate what our eyes see. John Mark Comer, in a, in a talk at Exponential, calls it a disinformation campaign. Satan puts into the atmosphere, the enemy puts into the atmosphere these, these, these lies. We talked briefly last week, but you can trace back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, Satan introducing these lies to God's creation, causing us to go astray. These lies are like a poisonous gas that gets released into into the air, and they begin tearing us apart from the inside first, but then ultimately resulting in serious brain damage, and in some cases even death. Lies the devil has introduced over centuries have torn our world apart just as this disinformation campaign we experience in America now tears our country apart. The devil's been at this long before whoever you want to accuse has been at it. And that's the reality we're at. And so in this series that we have titled Love Lies, we are attempting to directly address some of the most common lies that people are told and that people retell that ultimately keep God's people out of church and keep them away from a relationship with Jesus. And we start this morning with one of the biggest lies. One of, I would probably say it's the most common lie, one of them. 
We start with the lie this morning, and we'll put it up here on the screen. The lie that says the church just wants my money. Now, if this is your first time with us, I know what you're thinking, and I got to tell you, it's not what it looks like. I promise we're not one of those places. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, here we go. My first time here, and now we're already talking about money. Bet I'm out. No, listen. It's important that we address this because of all the churches, all the misnomers around the church and its, its use or misuse of, of people's money. This is important. And so this is a lie that we're going to tackle today. The church just wants my money. You've heard that before, right? Yes. I ain't going to church, man. It's just a money grab. I get it. I get it. But before we get into all that, I got I to gotta cover some stuff. This week, guys, this week has been ridiculous. This week has been insane. Has anybody else had a busy week? Amen. I know you all have. This week has been insane. I honestly feel, I was telling somebody before service, I honestly feel a little bit of, a little bit of tightness in my chest from everything that went down this week. It's been ridiculous. Some of it's been, been amazing. It's been so much fun. We had, we had volunteer appreciation in the Martin Awards this last Wednesday. We got to honor our volunteers. You guys are amazing. Still excited about that. Uh, we've, had, we've had lows. We don't, need to, we don't need to worry about that right now. But it's been a ridiculous week. One of the things that has kept, that happened this week, that has kept my phone blowing up all the way up has been the NFL draft. Why, why, why'd you guys moan like that? Like, oh, geez, I thought it was going to be serious. This is serious. This is super serious. Anybody else been glued to the draft this weekend? If you're at Malone, you should have been. So I've been glued. I've been glued to the NFL draft. It, my, my phone's been blown up. It's been blown up reality because I'm in this dynasty fantasy football league with my friends from college. And listen, before you already roll your eyes, I feel it. Okay, I get it. But it's serious. This is super serious, guys. It's really, it's like really real life. <laughs> Except it's called fantasy. But it's fine. It gets incredibly intense. This league is the majority of the reason I watch the NFL draft. This league is the majority of the reason that I watch football in general. This league is the majority of the reason that I have what's called the NFL Sunday ticket. Amen. And for those of you who don't know, it, the Sunday ticket is this, is, is this package that you can get where you can watch any football game, no matter what market it's being broadcast in. Now, I do got to admit, at least a little bit is, is because I'm a Cowboys fan, and they're almost never in the Cleveland market, right? Yeah, shout out. But also, it's because of this league. I will spend my Sunday afternoons and evenings watching every game. Amen. Every single one, guys. I'm not exaggerating. Now, as a Cowboys fan... Why should I care about a game that's being played between the Falcons and the Packers? Who the heck cares about the Packers? <laughs> why should I care about that game? It's because of this league. That's why I care about that game. And why do I care so much about this league? Bragging rights? Pfft, no. Because there's money to be won. Let's just be honest about that. It's okay. I put money on the line because I hope to win money from the line. You feel me? I get this intense. I put so much time and effort into it 
because my friends from college think they're smarter than me, but mostly because there's money to be won. Jesus said in his most famous sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says this, he says, wherever your treasure is, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is addressing the common reality that wherever we store up our treasures is where we focus the very center of our being. If we're trying to build our bank account, we will incessantly check interest rates and other options. We'll watch our spending carefully, and we will strategize around the best time to make particular purchases, right? If we're spending all of our money on our kids to play sports, you better believe that I ain't spending that money for no reason. I'm watching every game. I'm pushing them every night. I'm critiquing them on every performance, and I hope that it gets them to whatever the end goal is that we have in mind. If we're trying to build a house, buy a car, pay for school, whatever it is we are trying to do, it will affect our work ethic. All of a sudden, you're picking up those extra shifts, right? It'll affect our work ethic. It'll affect our focus. It'll affect our time. It will affect every area of our lives, including our relationships. No, I don't got time for that this week. Sorry, I know you missed me, but you know, I got to get, get back to work. I got to get on this grind. I got to... Wherever... Your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is illustrated in another interaction with Jesus just down the line, and this will be our main text for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament. It should be pretty easy to find. It's the book of Matthew. We're going to go to chapter 19. So as you scroll through Matthew, that's big number 19, and we'll start where the little number indicates the verse, and that is verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Scripture says this, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus replies, why ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. You know those ones. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else? must I do? Jesus told him, all right, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had a lot of really cool stuff. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you guys the truth. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I mean, 
if it's your first time hearing this too, just like the disciples, you're astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, not possible. Keep it 100, not really possible. But with God, everything is possible. This is often told as the story of the rich young ruler. He's a young guy approaching Jesus. Uh, He's got some money. He's got some stuff. And man, he's awfully pious. Basically, he thinks a lot of his good deeds. Good deeds. He thinks, I've got it. I know I feel pretty well put together. Um, I hear this guy talking about the kingdom. I'm pretty confident in my standing with the kingdom. At least I give the appearance of that. And so I'm going to go up to Jesus and, hey, Jesus, uh, what good deed exactly do I need to do? What good thing really, like, what is that thing or that deed or that concentration that gets me in? What's the ticket? Jesus is like, what? I, I'm confused. It sounds like you've got it backwards. See, you're looking for like a thing. You're looking for like a deed that's good. But, but, but if I'm going to answer it honestly, there's only one that's good. And of course, he's referring to God the Father. And so if God's the only one that's good, then what you need to do is probably goes through God. But I think you've got it backwards. So I guess to directly answer your question, keep the law. All these, all this law laid out by God, keep that. Do all of that. This man responds and says, I think I do that. I do that. But just to clarify, Jesus, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of them, just to clarify which ones exactly. And Jesus lists off some. He's like, uh, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie. Be respectful, be honorable, love all people. That stuff, that kind of stuff. And he's like, well, well I do that. I do that. I, re- I really do. Um, so what else? What else do I have to do? Now, there's something wrong in this line of questioning. There's something wrong here. Because if he were really keeping every command, if he were really to a T following the law as laid out by God in the Old Testament, then he would be next to godliness himself. And if you were really keeping all of the laws, and if you were really next to godliness yourself, wouldn't you be pretty confident in where you stand in relation to the kingdom of God? If you were really that meticulously following this stuff, wouldn't you have peace of mind that you were good enough to get into the kingdom of God? And yet... With all the good things that he's focused on doing, he must still feel like he's missing something because he still continues to ask Jesus with every single answer, what else? Have you ever felt like you were doing a lot of really good things, 
or you were doing really, really well, but you didn't feel any closer to God as a result. Jesus is like, okay, I see what's going on here. I see what's going on here. You've been doing a lot of good stuff. You've been behaving yourself. But I see that you haven't yet surrendered to God. I see the things you're doing. I see the things that you're about. But I also see that you haven't surrendered. And so he just pokes the area where he knows this man is going to be most sensitive. And if we're completely honest with ourselves, we are all likely most sensitive. He says, all right, if you want to be perfect, then give up everything you have and come follow me. And the rich young ruler bows his head, walks away because he couldn't do it. The desire of having his own possessions was greater than his desire to be in the kingdom of God. And while that sounds like a really harsh statement, I believe it reflects a lot of our internal realities. Financial sustainability gives us this idea of self-sustainability. And what Jesus is really asking is he's like, I know you have the perception of self-sustainability. I want you to give up the comfort you have in and of yourself. I want you to give the security up that you think you have. And he couldn't do it. Now, what does this have to do with the lie. What does this have to do with the church only wants my money? I believe that there are a few things we can take away from this passage that directly fly in the face of that lie itself. And I'm going to move through these kind of quickly. So to help you out, we'll have them up on the screen. Number one, God does not want your money. What? Hold up, bro. You saying, man, you just I just read a passage where what? God does not want your money. If this were about money, this passage, this interaction would be a lot shorter. This passage would have said, "Hey Jesus, what do I have to do to to get into the kingdom of God?" Oh, $20 cover charge. Bet, keep the change. Some of y'all get that on the ride home. Keep the change. Think about that. It, that. it would have stopped there. If this were about money, there would be a cover charge. Were y'all, were y'all charged a cover to get in here this morning? No. Just, I was just curious. Because sometimes, you know, people be out here. <laughs> God doesn't want your money. Because God doesn't need your money. God is the creator of the universe. I know we just like 
flippantly throw that out there, but like for real, God is the creator of the universe. Under him are all things. If he speaks a word, he puts the earth into a rotation. He doesn't need to bum a 50. Number two, God does want your heart. In the instance of the rich young ruler, God clearly had the young man's mind. And he devoted a whole lot of time studying and learning the law so that he knew what he was supposed to do. God may have even had some of this young man's actions as he did put his study of the law into a certain level of obedience. He even likely, I mean, we don't know this for a fact, but he even likely gave to the poor. Because that's even outlined even in the old law. So he probably even did that. Well, I give. I do give. I, you know, I, I do this. But God did not have his heart as evidenced by his unwillingness to give up whatever Jesus asked for. This passage is not about what the rich young ruler was giving. Catch this. This is about what the rich young ruler was withholding. For this individual particularly, he was withholding his riches. What are you still withholding from God? What have you yet to truly give over and trust God with? Do you really trust him with everything? Jesus goes on to say that it's very difficult for someone with so much money to be a part of the kingdom of God because Jesus knows, as we just said, when you have money, you have this feeling of self-sustainability. You have this feeling of security. And we as humans haven't liked giving up our security. We haven't liked giving up our idea of self-sustainability since, hmm, I don't know, Genesis 3. It's like two chapters in. Three chapters in. What am I saying? But then Jesus does say, take away number three, with God, all things are possible. Notice just for a second, because I want you to take this away. With God, all things are possible. But notice what it doesn't say real quick. With money, all things are possible. With money, I can do this. Once I make this, I can do this. Once I make that, then I'll give. Once I get to this level of income, then I'll be safe. Once I've paid off my house, once I've paid off my car, once somebody stops having kids and I got to pay for diapers, once we get them potty trained, once we... Once you give everything up to God, all things are possible. On our own, there are limitations. On our own, we get so wrapped up in who we are based on what we have or have not. If you really examine yourself, I believe that you'll find this to be true. And that will affect our outlook on the whole world. 
on our circumstances, what's possible, what's not possible. Maybe we like the amount of money we have. And we're not trying to, 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 to be all that generous because really does it make that much of a difference anyway. I know I hear you if I just, you know, do this with my money for so long, but I mean, what does that really do? And does that really benefit somebody else or, or would I rather stash this away to maybe or maybe not support my family instead? Maybe we really don't make any money at all, so we perceive that there's no way we can really make an impact on the world. Maybe we've grown up without since the day we were born, and somebody has had to work hard over us to provide even what little we have, and that gives us this idea that there's not much I can attribute that gives us this, this false lie of an idea that, that I can't really take care of that. There's really not a lot I can do about some of these really big world problems because I myself am barely taken care of. Well, I got to let you in on something. Regardless of your cash flow, there are some life circumstances that money can't solve anyway. There are many people who need a savior, and I don't know how your money comes out the ATM, but mine don't come with a cape. But when you align yourself with God, when you align yourself with God, the one in whom all things were created, the one in whom all blessings flow, the one in whom all people are redeemed, God is faithful to blow our mind with what's possible. Anything, Jesus says, is possible. But do we trust that? Do you trust that when you give that 20 instead of that one, that you won't miss the other 19? Do you trust that when you give to God first out of your check, rather than out of what's left from your check, that he'll keep your bills paid and your desires met? Do you trust that when you give God everything, including your almighty dollar, that he will surpass even your own imagination of what's possible? Do you really honestly believe that? God doesn't want your money. God wants you to hold nothing back from him. Let me, let me be even more direct. This church does not want your money. I do not want your money. This church wants all of its people putting everything they've got, physically, financially, and otherwise, into the mission 
that God has called us to. We want everything everyone's got into making a dent and making a whole section of the kingdom of God that may or may not have been filled before we started this. Everything we've got. And when it comes to money, y'all talk to me offline. I'll I'll tell you my relationship with money growing up. It wasn't like a positive one. We'll talk about it. And so when it comes to money, I can honestly say I've seen God do some incredible things so far. After I got saved the second Sunday, I went to church. They passed around the offering plate, and I didn't know. I just felt like I was supposed to give because the guy up front said a really good poem or limerick or something about, like, why giving's important, and I felt compelled, and I was like, but I don't know what to give. I pulled out my wallet, and I had $140 in cash. I'll tell you the reason some other time why I know the exact amount, but it was $140 exactly. I didn't know what to give, so I wadded it up, and I threw it all in. Later on, God used a couple of us in this room to start a ministry in a neighborhood just a couple blocks over for completely free. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any signs. We didn't have anything like that. We just had the heart of Jesus, and we had some neighborhoods, uh, houses that people let us meet in. Then later, God grew that ministry, and he said, I want you to fill an entire building. God, where the heck are we going to get a building? Oh, I got you. The city gave us this one for $1. When we were called to more formally begin gathering and scattering as a church, our brothers and sisters at Rivertree said, we're going to bring you up, and we're going to give you our Christmas Eve offering this year. How much money do you think we got that year? This is too good to be a coincidence. $140,000. That's too good to be a coincidence. We then launched with a culture where those of us who had a lot gave a lot. And those of us who had very little gave something. And as a result of that culture, you all made this place sustainable financially in less than a year. Since the day we opened two and a half years ago, we have put over $100,000 into blessing this community outside of what happens here Sunday through Saturday. And what we believe God wants to do with our money, because remember, where your money is, where your treasure is, there your heart goes to. What we believe God wants to do with our money is even bigger than that. We believe that God wants to partner with our finances to change the landscape of housing in the Southeast. We believe that God wants to eliminate human trafficking in our surrounding neighborhoods. We believe that God wants us to plant churches in every urban center of Northeast Ohio. 
as well as continue the ministry of the Martin Center that's grown every single year consistently since 2011. And so we invite everyone into that mission. We ask everyone to give everything we've got, give our whole hearts, the center of our whole beings into God's mission. We believe that when we as a community give everything we've got, God is faithful to do something bigger than we even imagined.